All right, good morning. You can go ahead and open up to Job chapter 1 if you want to. That'll be our first main stop. But of course, if you want to put your ribbon there, we're going to be going all over the place because we are studying uh, how to turn on a clicker. No, um, we're studying the different types of fools in the Bible. We're to the last one. I would say we saved the best for last, but this one is, well, you'll get why I'm reluctant to say we've saved the best type of fool for last. Anyways, so I want to start off with telling you a little thing that happened a few years back. I had a friend who had had a girlfriend who was a member of the church. She extremely faithful, and he's still extremely faithful. He's married to a different woman now, and um, but his girlfriend fell away, and when we went to go talk to her, these are the words out of her mouth. Well, you know, I just figured I'd, I'd give up. I, I don't see a point in it anymore, and so I guess you would say that I'm driving the bus to hell, and anybody who wants on is welcome to ride. What do you say when somebody tells you that? I'll be honest with you. At that point, I thought, well, what we're doing here is pretty much pointless. Y'all want to stop by Burger King on the way home? I, I I don't know what to say to that. But that idea is the idea that we're going to talk about this morning in the form of the foolish word, which means... Uh, a person who is vile or wicked and wants to bring someone. This is the word, nabal. A wicked or vile person who wants to spread the wicked and the vile ideas that they have taken on. They want to create other nabal people. It's the, it's the verse uh, that everyone knows about when we're talking about fools. Psalm 14 and verse 1. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. That is the Nabal person. You see someone who um, is a modern day. Now, when, when a lot of you were growing up, you, you probably re- very rarely heard of the word atheism or without theism because it just everyone believed something relative to Christianity or uh, especially in the south of America. Uh, you know, it's most mostly... Christian culture, but very rarely, 50 years ago, did anyone classify themselves as being a theist or without God, without a belief in a God. Nowadays, it's more prevalent to the point where people are trying to kind of, uh, they, they call themselves the evangelism, the evangelist of atheism. People like Richard Dawkins or Stephen Hawking, one who passed away just a few months ago. The, this idea of spreading the, the belief against God. It's not even a belief that we don't, we don't think that there is a God. It's, it's that I know that there isn't a God, and so I'm going to try to teach other people that there isn't a God. That's the idea of Nabal. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. And there's no one who does good. That is the idea of Nabal. Now, if you're going to think about someone in Scripture who is, who is, I mean, we've been doing this by looking at stories through the Old Testament. If you're going to think of someone who is against God, 
who is a vile and detestable person and who wants other people to be vile and detestable like them, you're probably going to think of Satan, the adversary, the devil, the person who, the person, I'm using person there accommodatively, of course, because he's not a person, he is a spirit. The Bible says that he was the first spirit, who, the first angel who, who transcended against God, who transgressed the line that God had drawn in the sand for the angel's faithfulness. We don't know where that was. We don't know when it happened. All we know is that the Bible says that Satan is a murderer from the beginning. That as long as we have been here, as long as the earth has existed, as long as the Bible history has gone on, from Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. From that moment on, he has always been a murderer, a deceiver, a liar. We'll talk about these things here in just a second. But if you're going to think about the, the epitome of the person who, who exemplifies Nabal character, this foolish character that is against God who, who looks at the evidence and says, well, I know what the evidence says, but there is no God. You're going to think about Satan. In Job chapter 1, which we'll get to in just a minute, that's exactly what happened. Now, before we get there, I want to set up the stage of the character of the devil. And, and we understand that the vast majority of people here have either studied Satan before. You know something about him. You may know, if you're, if you're not accustomed with, with Christianity and with the church, you may know that he's kind of the, well, the world thinks that he's kind of the anti-God. That maybe he's as powerful as God, but he's not... He's not as loving and as nice and gentle and peaceful and merciful and just and, and honorable as God. Well, we'll talk about that in just a minute as well. But the Bible very clearly outlines the, the nature, the personality of Satan. Jo, John chapter 8 and verse 44 says this. John chapter 8 verse 44. You are of your father the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says, and John records, that Satan is not only just a liar, but that when he speaks lies, he's just speaking out of his own character. He's just telling you who he is. You ever met the person who is so gentle, so nice, so encouraging, that whenever you're around him or her, whenever you're around them, you just kind of, you know that they're not being fake. This is, this is genuinely who they are. You ever met the person on the opposite end who is a complete jerk all of the time, no matter who you talk to or where you're around? Yeah, we have, right? That we understand, there, there's, there's times when we, we act out of our character. But there are those people who you just know. They walk up to you and they shake your hand and you just know this is a gentle person. Not because they, you know, barely shook your hand, but just their, their personality. When you're around them, you just get uplifted. You're encouraged. Satan's the exact opposite. Jesus says that he's a murderer from the beginning and that he's a liar. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1, we have the, the, the first time that this occurs. Genesis 3 and verse 1. Mankind has been created. The creation is there. We're in the garden the way God had always intended for us to be. 
He, he creates us in this beautiful, tropical paradise, as it were. And he gives us one law. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you can disagree with me all you want on what kind of tree it was. Y'all know that I know what kind of tree it was. It was a tomato plant. Probably not. But it definitely wasn't an apple. It definitely wasn't a tomato plant. It definitely wasn't a pomegranate. But anyways, whatever kind of tree this was, that's the only law that we were given. Don't eat of that tree. And it was obvious to them what tree he was talking about. In the text, we don't see God you know, having to define which tree. And so in Genesis 3, there's this interaction between the devil in some type of form and mankind. And he asks the question, Genesis 3 verse 1, the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field. And so he looks at the woman and he says, did, did God actually say you should not eat of the tree of the, in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, now just catch what he just asked. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He's, he's trying to prime the pump as it were. Didn't, didn't God say that you're just not supposed to eat of any tree? Well, no, that's not it. The woman stands up and, and speaks. We may eat of the, tr- of the fruit tr- of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not of the tr- eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So Satan kind of primes the pump. Didn't God say, you know, one, act, one attribute of Satan and one attribute of the people who, who have this character of Nabal is that, well, have you ever met the person, when you get done saying something, they say, so what you're trying to say is blank. And it's not anywhere close to what you just got done saying. I hate that statement. What you're trying to say is, no, that's not what I'm, just listen. There's one thing about me, and y'all know, if, if you know me, there's one thing about me. If I say it, I mean it. That's how we should be. But it, don't say what you're trying to say. No, if I, if I mean that, I'll say that. That's what Satan does. Didn't God say, what, what he's trying to say is that you can't eat of any tree. And the woman says, no, that's not true. We just can't eat of one tree. It's in the midst of the garden. It's where we we know where it is. We're not even supposed to touch it. We're supposed to stay completely and utterly away from this tree. And the next verse is the verse that everyone always remembers. And the Satan said to the woman, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. and You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So she eats the tree, the, the fruit of the tree. She takes it to her husband, fixes dinner, and probably unbeknownst to him, yet he should have paid attention a little more. You see, one thing that catches us more than anything else is not actively going and searching for sin. It's just the fact that we let our guard down and we stop paying attention as much. And so it just happens. She eats the tree. She takes it home. She fixes dinner. Hey, you know, I was, I was in, maybe she, maybe she lied, maybe she didn't. I was in the other part of the garden and I found this new tree that we had never eaten before. And so he puts it, she puts it in front of him and he eats it. And now they're in this problem. Because as soon as they do so, the Bible records that they, Satan's words actually came true, right? They knew knowledge of good and evil. Automatically, it's, 
They look and they see we're naked and we have to clothe ourselves. And so they go and they try to find some fig leaves and they try to clothe themselves and that doesn't work. And then God comes into the garden like he's usually doing around this time of day and they hide themselves because they know now. Then did you catch what Satan did in Genesis 3? He didn't outright lie. He said exactly what's going to happen, right? No, you're not going to die. Did they die? No. You're not going to die. God doesn't want you to eat the tree because if you eat it, you're going to know the difference between good and evil. Did that come to pass? Yes. You see, the thing is, all he had to do was use correct statements in an incorrect manner. What he didn't tell them is, no, you're not going to die But it's going to usher in a time for 1,500 years or more, 3,000 years almost really, where you're going to have to offer sacrifices and you're going to have to raise animals and every day you're going to have to go to the temple and you're going to have to offer those sacrifices and you're going to be in in a people group called Israel who is going to be tremendously tortured because of the people around them. They're going to keep giving up God and going back to God in this cycle over and over and over again. And then one day there's going to be a man who comes to earth and he's God in the flesh and he's going to have to die. And, and your family's going to be the one that kills him, by the way. And he's going to have to die in a, in a cruel death on the cross. And then they're going to, he's going to set up this group of people who are called the church that are going to have to live for now 2,000 years in this, in this state of waiting for him to come back so that we can live with him for all of eternity. And there's going to be years in there where those people called the church, the Christians, who are going to be put to death in the Circus Maximus. They're going to be standing in the middle of an arena with thousands of people circling them, watching them being eaten by lions. That's not what he said was, no, you're not going to die. That's true. But he didn't, he didn't fill in the rest of the story. You're not going to die. You're just going to know the difference between good and evil. That's true. But you see, all he has to do when John 8, says that he's the father of lies, that when he lies, he, he speaks as if he, it's just from his character. He doesn't have to change the truth. He just has to use the truth in a different way to kind of cover up the rest of the story. And that's exactly what he does. So he's the father of lies. He's, he's a liar from the beginning. John 8, in verse 31 and 32, says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, in Genesis 3, G- uh, Satan, in the form of the serpent, says, you're not going to die, you're going to know the difference between good and evil. And it takes thousands of years until that man comes and lives on the earth, and he's teaching his disciples in John 8, and he says, now it's time for you to know the truth to be set free from what happened so long ago. You see, we don't pay the, the condemnation of the sins of the people before us. You're not guilty for your father's sins. You're not guilty for the sins of your uncle or your grandfather or your great, 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 great grandfather. If you go to Brazier's Chapel Baptist Church in the graveyard behind it, there is an old grave that's made out of a stone And on it, all it says is Yancey Coker. Yancey Coker moved to Arab because he was running from the law. He was a horse thief. And he ran from South Carolina and ended up in Arab. 
He founded the city of Arab. Named it after another guy, Arad, and we'll get into that. You can make fun of Arab all you want. Yes, the town's name is spelled wrong. Anyways, so, you see, we don't pay the consequences of the persons that lived generations and generations before that. Otherwise, I'm a horse thief. And some of you are even worse than that. We don't pay the, con- the condemnation of the sins of the people in front of us. But we do pay the consequences. And what happened in Genesis 3 is that Satan took the truth, just used it in a different way, didn't fill the sentence in, didn't fill the story in, and caused them to sin. And it took that long, from Genesis 3 all the way to when Jesus in John 8 says, when you follow me, you're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It took that long for them to be freed of what Satan had started in the beginning. You see, that's the character of Nabal. It's that I want every person to be with me in this wickedness, in this torment. You know people like this, right? You know the people who, maybe they're not, maybe they're not militant atheists. Maybe they're not trying to convert people away from Christ. Maybe they're just trying to convert people to their idea that, you know, this sin isn't as bad. This, this, this problem that you have isn't as bad because... You know, I do that all the time, and I still go to church on a regular basis. You know, I, I, can, I, can, I can drink a little bit, and I, I can do just fine. You know, I'm a good person, right? You know, I'm a good person, and if I'm a good person, then it must not be that wrong. That's the character of Nabal. It's just the epitome of that is this person that we call Satan, that we call the devil. Now, real quick, put your ribbon in Job chapter 1. We'll get there in just a minute, but I want to do something real quick before we get there. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to go through just three instances um, of people who are said to be like Satan, workers of Satan in the Scripture, but that aren't actually him. So that we can see that there, there actually is there actually is a difference. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. That day is the judgment day, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception from, for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may be believe what is false, in order 
that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This man of lawlessness. Now, people, you, you can go home and read your commentaries and read everything. People are going to disagree on who this is. Some people say it's the Roman Pope. Some people say it's the Caesars of Rome. Some people say it's just a mindset. I'm not worried about who it is or if it's a mindset or not. But do you catch what happens? By the way, I, I, I believe it's a mindset because he says that it's going to happen until the coming of Jesus. And I don't know anybody who's still alive from that point until the coming of Jesus. Because he's already at work at that point and he says it's going to keep on. So it's a mindset against Christ. It's the anti-Christ. It's not a single person. It's, it's a mindset against Christ. Now, did you catch what he said? That his working is, is after Satan. That he's, that he's following in Satan's footsteps. And that he's setting himself up as God to make the decisions. And he wants worship. He wants people to follow him. This mindset against Christ wants people to come with them. And so, the first one 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now the second one is in Revelation 13 and verse 6. This is talking about the beast who is, who is in the book of Revelation, the beast is the, it's the Roman Caesar. Okay, So, Revelation 13 verse 6. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given over every tribe and people and language and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. Whoever's, who, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who is slain. So you have the man of perdition or the, the man of lawlessness in Second Thessalonians 3. Says that he wants people to follow him. He wants to p- bring people away from God. It's the same idea as Satan. But it's not Satan himself. It's a mindset. Revelation chapter 13. John says that the Roman leadership, the Roman officials, the, the Roman Caesar, the emperor of all of Rome, wants this to happen as well. It's what would happen to the Christians later on. All right, there's, there's one last time. Jude chapter 1 and verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, is kept in eternal chains and utter, uh, under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So you have these angels that somehow, uh, before we were ever created, rebelled with Satan. Maybe Satan talked them into it. I mean, the, the, the person of Satan is that he wants to bring people with him. So maybe he talked them into it. And they're now in the same situation as him. You have the Roman governor, the Roman Caesar, sorry, eventually was going to set himself up as God and want to be worshipped and want to bring people with him. The, the man of lawlessness, the idea of being against Christ, the Antichrist, this mindset that we want, to, we want to become our own gods and we want to make our own decisions for ourselves. And forget what the Bible says, I want to make my decisions. I want to be good in my own heart. They're all, in the Scriptures, said to have been persuaded by Satan. That's the character of Satan. That's the character of this... This fool in Psalm 14 and verse 1. He wants people to be on his side and to come with him. And we have people today who will talk to you and do the exact same thing. Maybe they're not talking bad about the church. Maybe they're just trying to, well, you know, it's okay. You know I'm a good person. Now, let's, go, let's talk about 
Let's talk about who Satan actually is, what, what his powers are. Because, like I said, the people outside of, in the world usually think that Christianity thinks that Satan is somehow the, the exact opposite of God. That he's just as powerful, just as knowledgeable as God, but he's, but he's not as loving, not as caring as God. Job chapter 1, we're going to stick in the book of Job for just a minute. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Job number one says that Satan is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere. What we talked about last Wednesday. He's not everywhere. Now his, his attitude, he's very good at what he does. Not that intelligent. But he's very good at what he does. The reason I say he's not intelligent is because he's fighting a battle that he's never going to win. But he's very good at it. He's very good at it. And over the last 7,000 years, he has done a very good job at bringing people to his side. Even people that don't think they are. Even people that, that aren't, like I said, aren't actively against God. You just have to take the truth and change it just a little bit. All it takes is saying something that's true but not giving the rest of the story. All it takes is is taking the Scriptures, honest, from the breath and and mind of God, 2 Timothy 3.16, and just taking one of them and cherry-picking it out of there and using it in a way that was never meant to be used. You're not going to die. You're just going to become knowledgeable like God of good and evil. It's absolutely true. But he didn't fill them in on the rest of the story. He's not omnipresent, though. He's not everywhere. His influence is, but he's not. Number two, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. Job chapter 2 and verse 1. This is the conversation between Job or between God and Satan. And God says, Have you considered my servant Job? Now, we can we can discuss why God does this. It's not to hurt Job. It's to show Satan who he really is and show him that you're not omnipresent. You're not omniscient. You don't know everything. You're not everywhere. And you are trying to make yourself into what I am and you'll never be there, Satan. And so he says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, yeah, I have, but you've you've protected him so much that there's no way I can touch him. I can't get him to fall away. You, you've, you've made a hedge of protection around him. And if you took that away, he'd give up on you. Problem is, God did take it away. And Job didn't give up on him. Satan doesn't know everything. He doesn't know how strong you are. He doesn't know... What, what weaknesses you have until you show them to him. Number three, he is not omnipotent or all-powerful. Job chapter 1 and verse 11. 
He has to ask God. This is amazing to me. Satan has to ask God for the ability to do something. Just like us. Just like us. Satan is no more powerful than us. He's just just really good at it. He's had a lot of practice at it. But he's no more powerful than you and me. In fact, in fact, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says this. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now let me ask you a question. Y'all ever heard a lion roar? It's terrifying, right? If you've actually been there, standing there, it's, it's terrifying. If a lion is roaring outside that door, you think I could hear it right now? Shake your head like this. Okay, now, if a lion is roaring outside that door, do you think I'm going to go through the door? No. Not at all. I think I'm pretty scary. I think, you know, people say, I, I always tell them, you know, when they say I'm going to beat you up or just joking around, I say, you and what army? I'm bigger and meaner than you, and you better have somebody on your side. Anyways, I'm just joking with them. I'm not going through the door. First Peter 5.8 says that Satan walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's telling us where he is. He's roaring. If he's standing outside the door, don't walk through the door. It's that simple. You see, he's not any more powerful than us. He's also got something that is problematic to him. And that is, he has no future. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 says that we need to put on the armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. That means when we have this book the Bible, and we have salvation, and we have righteousness, and we have sanctification, and we have faith in God to fill in the gaps of things that we don't know. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. When we have this book and God, He is not more powerful than us. People say, well, the devil made me do it. No. The devil talked you into it and you did it. Well, devil... Devil's working really, I had somebody last week tell me, the devil's working really hard on me. Lee, I need you to pray for me. Absolutely, I'll pray for you. But then I followed it up with this. I will absolutely pray for you. But you need to realize that he can't stop you. What can take us out of the love of God? Romans 8. Not principalities or powers, that's the devil. So, Hebrews chapter 2 Verse 9 says this, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers and saying, I will tell you, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, 
he himself likewise partook in the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see, that's the thing about the, the fool in Psalm 14 verse 1. They want to bring people to them. But they're fighting a battle that they can't win. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. doesn't matter what you say. You've looked at the truth. You know the truth. doesn't matter how many times you tell yourself that there is no God. There is. Satan, it doesn't matter how many times you tell yourself that you're going to win. You're not. See, the Namal person is called a fool. It's translated fool because that's exactly what it is. When we think about the word fool, what do we think of? A person who doesn't know any better, who has no sense. Kind of the words that we've talked about already in this series. Well, Satan is that. He's fighting a battle that he's already lost. And if we're actively denying that God exists, or actively denying that this book is not true, it doesn't matter how many times we tell ourselves that. It doesn't change the fact that it is, and that he is. I'll leave you with this. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Whoever makes a practice of sin. If you're a Christian here, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you're a Christian here, think about the last time you sinned. It may have been five minutes ago. It may have been an hour ago. Maybe in last night, last week, last month, whenever you can think about. Y'all know my, my least hated phrase in Christianity today, right? My most hated phrase in Christianity today, right? Well, I'm just a sinner saved by the grace of God. I was a sinner. Now I'm saved by the grace of God. That's the difference. 1 John 3 and verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice whoever goes on sinning, whoever continuously does it is of Satan because we're allowing ourselves to be tricked by him, to listen to his lies, to take the truth and just change it just a little bit. But if you're a Christian, you don't have that problem. You know better. Unless you've given it up. Let me say this to you. If you have given up, maybe it's about time you realize that you're You're stronger than you think. That he is not smarter than you. That he is not stronger than you. That he's not going to win unless you let him win. That the only way that he beats one of us, the only way that the fool convinces someone that there is no God is if the person who is being convinced doesn't look at the truth, doesn't look at the evidence. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Unless you just want to be in it. If you want to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you. And if you are willing to be baptized for the remission of your sins, don't let someone talk you out of it. Don't let yourself talk you out of it. If you're a Christian and you've given up, um, I think... If you've, if you've ever been to this church, you know that we want what's best for each other. 
And that means that if you'll tell us, we will pray for you. We will help you. We'll, we'll look out for you. We'll be accountability with you if you want us to. We'll do whatever it takes for you to get through whatever you're dealing with. But the fact of the matter is that we can't do it for you. You have to make the decision to be stronger. You have to make the decision to fix it. And then we'll be right there waiting for you. If you're subject to the invitation, let us know as we stand and sing.